Let's take it to the edge. Let's get deflected. Let's talk about the night unexpected. Let's get sharp. Let's get a little real. Let's talk about the night unexpected. Hey guys, Dan Eastland. I'm here in my rightful God-appointed place as host of Knife uh, Knife Perspective. I'm here with my co-host, Kyle Daly, and this is show number 008, Knife Perspective, where we let you know what's the deal with dealers. How are you doing tonight, Kyle? I'm doing great, Dan. Had uh, Just had a week of vacation, so that was a lot of fun. Went up to Door County, Wisconsin, drank a lot of beer, ate a lot of fish, and ate a lot of good prime ribs, so that was great. Those are some of my favorite things. Yeah, they have a lot of good food up there. It's all all homemade. Up at the, the very tip by Washington Island, everything's homemade, and pies, and ice cream, and custard, and everything is great. Uh, and was that family vacation or getting away from family vacation? Uh, we had uh, had the boys and my wife and uh, one of my friends and his family came along with us, too. We rented a cabin up there for a week. Outstanding. That is a bold move, renting a cabin with young children. Yeah. Yeah, we had we had uh, one seven-year-old, a four-year-old, and my two three-year-olds. So, so you hate yourself. <laughs> it was a lot of work. The the boys were pretty pretty tired for a lot of it. Aaron ended up waking up at two thirty in the morning on the day we were going to leave, so that was a little rough driving back home. Mm. Yeah, I don't miss those days. I mean, every so often, I kind of miss getting up in the morning and not having a kid to hang out with me while I make breakfast. But the seven or eight hours of peace and quiet I get on the weekends before one of the teenagers wakes up at two o'clock in the afternoon is really kind of – it's me time that I really feel like I've earned throughout the week. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to when they can be a lot more helpful too. They're, Aaron helped uh, pack the truck a little bit. It was pretty funny. He grabbed a suitcase and threw it up on the tailgate of the truck and it was pretty pretty cute. One of the really great turning points in my life was when I could leave a cereal box, a bowl, and a spoon on the counter. And when they got up, they could put cereal in the bowl and open up the refrigerator and pour milk in the bowl and put the milk back. I mean, the putting the milk back was really the the turning point in in my sleeping schedule. I don't I don't know as if we can do that with as long as we have our dog. Our our dog likes to scarf stuff off the counter, so uh, have to have all the food put away for us. Yeah, I, I wouldn't actually put it in the bowl. I'd set it in the box, but uh, because I knew I was going to have big dogs. And I knew I was going to have kids walking around with food in their hand. Uh, ours will only eat from the bowl. Hmm. Uh, I wish ours would do that. He was. We got him as a rescue, and he was starved. So, with the proper application of electricity, you can get anything to do anything. I mean, you just got to be willing. You got to be committed to it. I mean, there's going to be some uncomfortable moments, but if you're willing to do it, you can train anybody or anything to do almost anything. We've been working on it for uh, about eight years now, and uh, it's been – it's a battle every day. 
Have, have you tried upping the voltage? Where are you attaching the electrodes? Uh, we we used the electronic collar for a while and uh, just didn't uh, didn't do it. Huh. So, but um, do you want to get into uh, the sponsors of the show? I do. Uh, as host, I feel like discussing the sponsors is a hostly duty that the host should do. So, yeah. as the host, I'd like to thank our sponsors. Dogwood Custom Knives, www.dogwoodcustomknives for all your cutlery needs. And let's not forget the great people from KH Daily Knives, www.khdailyknives for most of your cutlery needs. Hey. <laughs> it was worth a try. You're going to get demoted again. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I'm bringing the next guest. You can't. Oh, wait. Uh, I'd like to thank the wonderful people from KH Daily Knives, www.khdailyknives for all of your cutlery needs. Nice. And, of course, our dealers, um, Old Town Cutlery, who has the the wisdom, nay, the brilliance, certainly the insight to carry both Dogwood Custom Knives and KH Daily Knives. One-stop shopping truly for all your cutlery needs. That's www.khdailyknives. OldTownCutlery.com. Yep. They're they're great people and uh, glad that we're working together. Yeah. I mean, that Lee guy's okay, but Melissa, she's the one. Yeah. <laughs> Never have there been truer words. <laughs> and, you know, that's a whole lot funnier because I'm sitting on the other side of the room outside of Lee's reach. <laughs> And this might be a great opportunity for me, the host, to introduce our guest tonight. That would be Lee, the owner, operator, and brilliance behind – all right. So (laughs) the assistant owner, assistant brilliance, and assistant operator. There you go. Now we got it right. (laughs) Behind Old Town Cutlery. Uh, Tonight we are going to delve a little bit into the, the dangerous, dark, and fraught world of knife dealers. How to deal with them, how they deal with you, and how to come out on top. <laughs> Dangerous. And how are you tonight, Lee? Uh, we're doing great. We've been out on the town and here in uh, beautiful Greenville, South Carolina. had a phenomenal meal. I got a tour of the magnificent Dogwood Custom Knives shop uh, late this afternoon, and uh, it's just been a great day. Happy to be here. Nice. I'm going to have to make it down there to Greenville to see that shop at some point. And Lee is the first guest who has entered the Sanctum Sanctorum, my redoubt, also known as the basement. Um, so that's right, our first ever on-site guest. Lee, you, you, you're, you're enjoying a lot of firsts tonight. Yes, loving it. Uh, before we get into our usual question and answer segment, uh, we have a new segment. I actually have two new segments, but somebody messed with my show notes and moved them around. They're still there. Yeah, but they're not where I put them. God, man, it's like having my kids or my wife. I put stuff down, and then all of a sudden, the next thing I know, it's it's quote unquote where it's supposed to be. But well, our first new section: shout outs and reviews. Um, since I'm the host that's hosting this show. I, uh, if you have not already seen it, I highly recommend that everybody immediate now, not immediately, as soon as you finish listening to this podcast, 
uh, go to YouTube and check out Survival on Purpose. Uh, they did a phenomenal review of the Echo 7. And I'm not just saying that because it was positive, but that is the sign of an excellent review of a dogwood knife. Yep. And of course, the link to that will be in the, the show notes. Um, and I am certain all of you already know about Knife Magazine being online. But if you don't, it is absolutely worth the, the pittance, the small, small price to uh, go get on to knifemagazine.com. They have been a great supporter of the show, and that is another great indicator of their their brilliance. Nice, Kyle. Would would you like to talk about some of our uh, some of our friends from Instagram? Yeah, uh, Harleywood.co is a guy that I met at Blade Show two years ago, and did a really nice video on YouTube back then. And finally got delivery of two uh, two Damascus knives that he ordered this past past year at Blade Show: a seven inch Santoku and a three inch paring knife. So. He's gonna. He said he's gonna do a video and talk about those. So pretty excited to hear what that is gonna be. So and the the baseline to be a friend of ours is to buy our knives. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so if you too would like to be a friend of the show, please feel free to visit Dogwood Custom Knives at www.dogwoodcustomknives. Yeah, or KH Daily Knives. Uh, and then uh, Dylan Fletcher. And if you can't decide, go to Old Town Cutlery. You can get one of each. One-stop shopping, people. I'm here to help. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, Dylan Fletcher uh, at Blade Show, I traded him my HPI Baja 5BSS. It's a one-fifth scale gas-powered Baja car. Um, and uh, That thing's got more power than my first car. <laughs> yeah, I think it's got like seven and a half horsepower, and it weighs like 30 pounds, so – the power to weight ratio is pretty high on it. And he put a bunch of the stickers, knife perspective and cage daily knife stickers all over the car when he took it up the rock pile. Yeah. So that was pretty, pretty I gotta cool. Send him an, I gotta send him a message. I didn't see any dogwoods. I was a freaking apprentice and I didn't score a dogwood sticker on that thing. Well, you, you're stingy with your stickers. I gave him a whole mess of them. <laughs> so yeah, but he irrelevant. The point is I was slighted and I demand that no, Dylan's kind of big. I politely request. <laughs> but if you haven't checked out that uh, Instagram post, it was super funny. Him and Fury doing the whole uh, Sunday, Sunday, Sunday thing. It was, it was uh, hilarious. I loved it. The blue mule attempted the, uh, the rock pile one more time after having its gearbox stripped. Yeah. And uh, it, it was a near thing. Yeah, we won't won't spoil it for you, but uh, needless to say, the the Baja made it made it up the hill. The Baja is a is a very impressive vehicle. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Glad to see that's uh, with somebody that enjoys it as much as I did. Yeah, um, I'm not sure which one's going to enjoy it more, Fury or Dylan, because when it comes to toys, they're at about the same level. Yeah, yeah, they. Uh, they were pretty excited. I think I mentioned it before, but uh, Dylan brought it home uh, early at Blade Show, and then uh, he uh, Fury called him while he was at Blade Show and goes, "You got to get back here. There's a car in the middle of the living room." <laughs> uh, and then he was he was convinced that Dylan could do some magic and shrink him to be able to ride in the car. That seems reasonable. Yeah, pretty funny. Uh, so you want to talk about what you're working on, Dan? I do. Um... Uh, this is going to shock you, but I'm working on kitchen knives, uh, doing a lot of the mid-tech kitchen knives. Just got finished with a whole batch of pinup girls, 
which some of which might soon be available at a certain dealer's establishment. Be sure to keep an eye out for that. And it is starting to be Kephart's, Kephart's, Kephart's. I have gotten a little embarrassingly backordered on – I love the knife. I knew it was a great knife. I was not quite prepared for how many people were going to want one. So I am looking at weeks and weeks and weeks of nothing but Kephart's. Wow. Which I'm a little excited about because – it's a fun pattern to make, and some people have given me some artistic free reign. So I've, I've been playing with some new texture techniques for the flats of the blades. Cool. Which on the cap heart, that's a small surface, but I'm I'm gonna have a I'm gonna have fun with a couple of these. Nice. And how about you, Kyle? What are you working on? Uh, right now, I'm working on a bunch of wedding knives. I know a bunch of people that are getting married in. I'm noticing a theme. Yeah, September. So I've got a another batch for some people, and then my sister in law is getting married. So making a big ten inch carving knife for her for their for their cake. They're gonna have to be careful; it doesn't go all the way through the table when they when they cut through the cake. I think you get paid extra for that. <laughs> I'll definitely try to have to. I'll definitely try to take a picture picture video of that. You know, it's not really a cake cutting unless somebody gets sutures. <laughs> Nice. But oh, and here's the other segment. Put exactly where it belonged on the second page of notes. Um, I don't know, Lee. Have you had a chance to check out the video yet? Of the uh, the the bear survivor? Yes. <laughs> not not fully. So a uh, BC man. Uh, apparently, that's British Columbia, not before Christ. I, I was a little confused. A BC man, while out mountain biking, it was mauled by a grizzly bear. And while it was chomping down on his femur, he was cap- he was able to pull out a uh, folding knife. And man, if it had been fixed blade, probably wouldn't have even gotten his femur bitten. If he didn't have to waste time with the whole opening the folding knife, but I'm getting carried away here. Apparently, he was able to pull out his folding knife and start stabbing the bear, which discouraged the bear from wanting to continually maul him, and then was able to use the knife to cut off, I believe it was his shirt sleeve, mm-hmm. a tie a tourniquet around his leg, and using the bike to help support him, got back to camp and was medevaced, and is going to survive a grizzly attack because he was carrying a knife. Yep. It's uh, always important to carry one of those, and... Um, there's been, there've been quite a few things in the news lately. Uh, knife rights also had a story that there was a kid in Georgia, I believe, uh, that was worked at a Chick-fil-A and saw, a saw a young kid caught up in a seatbelt and was choking and, uh, dove through the, the drive-through window and cut the, cut the belt and saved the kid. Yeah, you know, these are both such endearing, heartwarming stories. I feel like I should celebrate them with the traditional celebratory drink of knife or um, knife perspective, and that would be a sweet baby Jesus. <laughs> so, BC man and Chick Fil A guy, this sweet baby Jesus is for you. Yeah, I've got a uh, spotted cow from New Glarus Brewery, and they only distribute to Wisconsin, so. Brought a 24-pack of that back while, while I was up there. Very nice. 
And uh, what is the flavor profile of this syphilitic cow? Um, I don't know. It's uh, it's a. Uh, is it is it hoppy kind of forward or is it more uh, is it malty? I'm not good at describing what stuff tastes like with uh, when when it goes to beer. Does it mess you up real good? No, <laughs> no it's it's pretty mild. It's a it's an easy drinking beer that uh, it's an ale, and uh, I can read the side. Cast conditioned ale has been the popular choice among brews since the long before prohibition. We continue this pioneer spirit with our Wisconsin farmhouse ale brewed with flaky barley and the finest Wisconsin malts. We even give a nod to our farmers naturally cloudy. We allow the yeast to remain in the bottle to enhance fullness of flavors, which cannot be duplicated. Otherwise expect this ale to be fun, fruity and satisfying. You know, you're in Wisconsin when you see the spotted cow. Fun, fruity and satisfying. Yeah. You know, if there were three words that would sum you up, I think those are them. Yeah. I haven't been called fruity very much, but I suppose it's it, okay. It's going to happen. Just relax. I suppose it fits with the beer. So, Lee of Old Town Cutlery, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, well, so let's take it back to the beginning. Where are you from? I am originally from Charleston, South Carolina, uh, and I moved to North Georgia in the late 90s uh, when I got out of college and um, got in the construction business and uh, spent the uh, subsequent 20 years there. Um, and uh, so I consider myself uh, half South Carolinian, half Georgian. Oddly enough, a uh, something that I can I can relate to. I, too, consider myself a Georgia-Linian. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and how did you meet me? Oh, wait, no, that's not how did you meet me. How did you meet your wife? Well, this is a great story. Um, so in the state of Georgia, uh, there is a law that says you have to attend this, uh, this class on um, – on parenting if you are going to get a divorce in the state of Georgia. And they essentially are going to discuss, you know, how bad you're about to wreck your kids' lives and that sort of thing. So uh, one day I um, uh, was attending the class as I was going through my divorce, uh, and uh, there was a young lady that was sitting in a couple of rows in front of me, and um, she busted me uh, checking her out. And, um, of course, the or did you bust her checking you <laughs> yeah, out? Yeah, that's exactly right. She had to turn around to, to bust me. So I like to say that uh, I busted her checking me out. But anyway, at the end of the class, um, you have to get your paper signed to turn into the court system. Uh, she was several people ahead of me, and, and um, she got her paper signed and walked out of the building, and I was in a rush to get my paper signed, and I finally did. And, and if she was telling the story now, she would say that I ran outside like I was flagging down a 747. But the reality was um, I, uh, I stepped – I stepped outside, and she was driving away, and um, I, I waved her down. Yes, I did. And uh, she pulled over, and she actually stepped out of the car, which uh, was a very nice, polite thing to do. And um, I, let me preface this next part of the story by saying I've always been you know, a fun, life-of-the-party type of guy, but I've never been good at – pickup lines. Uh, that's always been a weakness of mine. And so 
Don't be ashamed. We've all stepped out in traffic and faked their car wreck just to get a girl's number. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, so um, I, I did have this uh, this flash of genius moment where um, uh, I had the just the perfect line. And so, after this long moment of awkward silence, uh, I looked at her and I said, "So this is the best Jeff Foxworthy joke ever." And she looked at me with a puzzled look on her face and said, what do you mean? And I said, so if you get a date at a state-mandated class for divorcing parents, you might be a redneck. And we both busted out laughing <laughs> at that point, and that was the icebreaker. And uh, I asked for her phone number and see if she'd like to have a cup of coffee with me one day. And she gave it to me, and, um, and then we said our goodbyes. And uh, I got in the car and I dutifully uh, dialed the number <laughs> to see if it was real. <laughs> and she answered and I said, I'm just checking to make sure you really gave me the real number. Because <laughs> if it so, wasn't, you were going to chase her down again, weren't you? That's right, exactly. exactly. <laughs> I can, I can and, honestly uh, say that's the first person I've ever known that used a Foxworthy joke uh, as a yeah, pickup yeah. line. Yes, and I and I may be the only person that's ever gotten a date at a state mandated class for divorcing parents. So, um, yeah, I, I may hold some special distinction. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm feeling a whole lot better about picking Beth up at her grandmother's wake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Well, is that how you ended up meeting Beth? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> wow. It, it, it's a little more complicated. We'll save that for the reunion show. But yeah, I. Uh, I it was the night after her grandmother's funeral. There was a connection between our families and everybody was having a few drinks and Beth had one too many beers. And the next thing you knew, she was dating me. Oh, yeah. That's so similar to how we came up with the idea for this podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Almost as legally binding as well. Yeah. So that's, that's pretty interesting. I, I guess uh, I'll tell you, I met my wife on eHarmony, the, kind of most uh, normal compared to the two of you guys. Yeah, all of a sudden you don't have the embarrassing story, do you? <laughs> no. <laughs> you <Yeah>. cheated. <laughs> yeah, God, I, was, I hate these normal guys that do things the normal way. Uh, trust me, the, the the internet dating thing when we were doing it wasn't wasn't the normal way. Did you know you were getting an American girl? Uh yeah, she had a picture up, so <laughs> We 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 talked for almost a month before we actually met the first time. So, oh wow, she she knew what she was getting into. <laughs> um, I find that hard to believe. Yeah, I had to trick I had to trick her a little bit. You know, can't throw all your cards down on the first date. Yeah, you you got to wait till they're legally committed, and then you let them know what a freak you are. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. Hey, Lee, turn around so uh, we can get a promo picture of you. Because the back of your head is not the most attractive. There you go. Big smile. Uh, um, so, so the important questions. What was your first night, Lee? Well, the first one I remember. Ah, don't look at the notes off the top of your head. I want spontaneity. <laughs> was a strayed sharp finger. Um, that was the first one I remember. I had that and a big Kmart machete. And uh, I remember tromping around the woods out of my dad's property uh, as a little kid uh, with those two. Uh, those two tools, and I just thought I was the coolest kid in the whole world. Uh, I even 
uh, got pretty good at throwing the machete one time, and uh, I could I could stick it in a tree, you know, where it, it would kind of go, boing, 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 you know, and uh, I was so proud of that. I thought it was the neatest thing, and then um, I went to go show my father one time how good I was at it, and I threw it, and it bounced back and hit me square in the mouth and chipped my front tooth. So <laughs> those are some early knife memories that I had that uh, I'm quite fond of. I, I can't tell if that's a lesson about how good your throwing was or a question about the edge retention of a Kmart machete. Right, right. <laughs> that's, that's pretty crazy, chipping your tooth. You got pretty lucky there. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, because every time I get hit in the mouth with a machete, something other than chipping my tooth happens. <laughs> that's right. That's, that's a, that could be an interesting story. Uh, so... Of all the things in the world you could be, why would it be a purveyor of cutlery and cutlery-like materials? Yes. So um, I had been in the building products industry for 20 years. Uh, I came to Atlanta after school to to get into that that industry. And um, after the recession, it just it wasn't a whole lot of fun anymore. And uh, my wife, Melissa, was working in the uh, for for the school system, and um, that um, that was not fun anymore. After uh, as you know, she learned the local politics and how parents were and all that sort of stuff that uh, teachers go through at schools. And so, um, neither one of our jobs was fulfilling. And um, I am a lifelong knife enthusiast, knife collector quasi-knife maker, uh, and um, uh, Melissa comes from a family that um, has been knife collectors, so um, I tell the story that when we first got married and she put my underwear away for the first time and there were 300 knives in my dresser that she did not find that odd. And um, <laughs> That's a keeper right there. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so um we uh, we inherited a little bit of money, not not much, uh, when my mother passed away, but a, a little bit, and um, we were thinking about what to do. And uh, we, of course, you know, could have invested that in the stock market and IBM and um, uh, Disney and Coca Cola and things like that, and or we could have invested it in ourselves and changed our future. And so we decided to go with the latter. We wanted to do a job that was fun. We wanted to create a, a career and a sustainable business that uh, was something that, that we love to do. So we sat down one night and wrote out a, a, a basic outline and business plan, and, um, and off we went. Wait, a business plan? What's that? <laughs> yes, we we, we actually did formulate a business plan and a, and a strategy, and um, we allocated certain dollar amounts to different uh, categories. And uh, yeah, it was it was actually a pretty well thought out idea. Nice. Yeah, I still don't get the concept. <laughs> yeah, I need I I need to do something like that. Mine's uh, kind of just going as a as I as I've been with starting it as a hobby. I went with so get up. Make knives, something happens, be rich. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, there's a few, a few things in between that have to be worked out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's something happens. That's details. I am not a detail man. I'm a big picture man. Still, still working on the last half of that equation? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I've got things. I just haven't gotten things done. <laughs> nice. Well, you're going to have a whole lot of cup art, so 
I think I ground out 31 blanks in the last day and a half. Wow. Um, would have made 35, but I ran out of belts because freaking particles steal your belt eating, ceramic destroying. So a part of that covers how did you get started? What were some of the early challenges that you had to overcome? Well, uh, first off, um, we we knew that we were um, not willing to do something halfway, uh, that if we were going to build a website, it was going to be a professionally done website with proper search engine optimization. Um, we needed to understand how to do that and how to how to make edits and so that we weren't reliant on other people um, and how to properly input products so that they would be properly uh, optimized for search engines. That was a, a really big challenge. That was uh, a pretty steep learning curve. Another steep learning curve was actually photography. Uh, I've been a, a, a woodworker for uh, 20 years, and I thought that taking pictures of knives was going to be the same as taking a picture of a dining room table. To my shock and horror and amazement, um, it's not. Um, yeah, well, one's big. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the smaller the item and the more reflective it is, the bigger the challenge. And um, I was, we were actually quite mortified when we took our first set of pictures, and um, they looked terrible, and we couldn't figure out why. <laughs> and so, so did I. And then once I put my clothes back on, they looked way better. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, so we don't, don't go Google searching that for. Uh, <laughs> find any pictures of dogwood knives in the early days hey, you know do what you want to do but just remember once you've seen it you can't unsee it <laughs> look at me judge me by my size do you <laughs> wow that wouldn't be so funny if it weren't so true <laughs> uh there you go but uh but Pictures were definitely a huge challenge. Um, and then there's all of the extraneous things about a business that you, you have to get right, especially when you're going to be um, employing people, uh, you know, from your accounting software to um, – uh, to P and L statements and all that sort of stuff. This the not fun side of the the business, and uh, so we had to we had a steep learning curve when it came to that. Beyond that, I don't know that there's that there was necessarily any challenges as it related to uh, the actual knife industry. We were we were welcomed uh, with open arms by manufacturers and makers. One of our first tasks was actually to go to the Blade Show in 2017. And talk to makers um, and manufacturers and ask them if they had had interest in us uh, in what we were planning to do. And the response was an overwhelming yes. So uh, the, the knife industry as a whole was very supportive and it was a very positive experience. Nice. So you started out online or you started out as brick and mortar? Correct. We started out online um, because we knew that had to create a revenue stream with low overhead. Um, the objective was always to create a brick-and-mortar store, um, and the reason for that is the knife industry can be very selective about who sells 
product and where it's sold. Many manufacturers such as uh, Benchmade, even Swiss Army Knives, actually have brick-and-mortar requirements to sell their product. Uh, and a lot of people are not aware of that. And the reason for that is, you know, they don't want, you know, just anybody selling product out of their basement sort of thing. Um, not only because uh, they want proper representation, but but also I'm, I make the joke all the time that we're not selling rubber dog do and whoopee cushions. You know, we're, we're selling a, a product that while we view it as a tool, uh, some other people may not. And uh, there needs to be an ethic of responsibility associated with selling the product. So um, we respect that a lot from different manufacturers. And uh, so there are several major players in the industry that actually have that brick and mortar requirement. So we knew that if we were going to be a major player in the industry, that that is what we would have to do uh, ultimately. So we started out online with the objective of uh, planning the brick and mortar when the revenue stream had had um, had had been developed enough to to adequately support. And so we were pleasantly surprised that within a year uh, we were there. Um, so in uh, the first weekend, that's pretty quick. Yes, we were. We were usually three to five years. Yes. So uh, and that and we figured it would take at least two. Um, and we we really hit the ground running. Um, we did a, a, a amazing job through our first holiday season um, and the sales did not fall off uh, entirely after that first of the year. We continued to grow the business. Every month was better than the last. And so by uh, Blade Show 2018, we were ready to make the announcement that we were uh, intending to plant the brick and mortar store. We leased the space in August of 2018, the last weekend of September, we opened the store, and we still, of course, had a lot of work to do and in, uh, in organizing, putting product out on display. But uh, we had it by that point. We had it good enough to flip on the open sign, and um, and it's been a, a wild ride. It's been a tremendous amount of fun, and uh, we're glad that we have done things when we've done them uh, because things have really fallen into place for us. So. Um I started to say, why North Georgia? But let's start with where in North Georgia are you? Because there's like two people in Georgia that listen to this podcast <laughs> and they may want to come by and see you. Yeah, yes, yes. So if somebody wants to come by the store, where is it located? Okay. So we are in North Georgia, uh, right on Georgia 400. So there are three uh, major interstates that, that go northbound out of Atlanta. There's uh, 75 on the west side. There's 400 in the middle and uh, 85 on the east side. And so 400, if you go northbound out of Atlanta on Georgia 400, um, uh, we are at the second stoplight, um, which is about uh, it's about 20 minutes uh, north from the perimeter. Um, All right, so I'm on Waze, and I just typed in second stoplight on Georgia 400. And I didn't get anything. <laughs> so um, it's at the intersection of Seton Down, uh, like a hillbilly from North Georgia would say it, S-E-T-T-E-N-D-O-W-N, Seton Down Road. Uh, that is in Cumming, Georgia. Uh, and um, it is just before you get to the uh, all of the major shopping bonanza stuff there in Dawsonville. Uh, it's on the way to Dahlonega. On the way to many of the uh, parks in 
uh, North Georgia, including Amicola Falls, which is the southern terminus of the Appalachian Trail. It is uh, right there on 400. Uh, there's a giant billboard uh, that says World's Coolest Knife Shop, uh, along with a big cigar store that is next door to us. It's uh, If you're a cigar smoker, it's uh, I've been told one of the best cigar stores in the Southeast. They are absolutely phenomenal. When I used to live in Cumming, when I was still doing furniture, uh, they were one of my customers. I used to do uh, repair work for humidors for them. Um, they are some very cool people, and it's a cool little place. Um, for those that want to make the trip out there to actually check out the store and figure out which KH Daily Knife or Dogwood they want to take home with them, <laughs> yes. uh, we'll have the address down in the show notes so y'all can just pull the address down. So why there? Other than that, of course, it's God's country. Well, <laughs> I'm torn. So if we could just put South Carolina and North Georgia together, we'll just call that God's country. <laughs> yes, yes, sure. So why that part of God's country? Sure. So, um, I mean, Kyle, your place is nice too. <laughs> I, I can't handle all the heat and humidity down there, man. Well, uh, so we actually did a, a tremendous amount of research uh, before we decided to do this. Uh, Melissa and I live in Dawson County, which is uh, just slightly north of the store. When we started the online business um, and, it, and it became healthy enough to, for us to begin thinking about planning the store, the, we were actually willing to move anywhere. Um, we, we're not necessarily anchored uh, in North Georgia uh, for any other particular reason. Have I told you about the amazing opportunities in Greenville, South Carolina? <laughs> I think you're a couple years late there. Right. <laughs> or, so franchises, yes. multiple locations. This is the key to modern American marketing. Well, actually, fran uh, multiple locations are coming, not necessarily franchises, but multiple locations are coming. See, Kyle, multiples are good. There you go. We did an exhaustive analysis of different markets and what it would take in order for a store like this to be successful, a specialty type store. Um, and so we, we were able to look at other business models, not necessarily knife stores, but other specialty type stores and why they were successful in different locations. There's, a, there's an underwriting theme uh, that is consistent with all of the success stories, and that is a location, location, location. Well, a continuous flow of people, um, and you can't. Uh, you have to have a, a, a large base relatively near you, which we of course have that uh, with the Atlanta market. But the continuous flow of people in uh, tourist traffic, and so that was. That was a big component of this, and we were actually floored to realize some of the numbers that actually go to North Georgia. Um, we we called uh, multiple chain commerce and we asked for data that they could provide us. And so when we looked at this, we were able to calculate that um, that North Georgia gets uh, upwards of 30 million visitors a year, and so we were very pleased to, to figure out that um, that is. That is as good as anywhere, and uh, we're very pleased um, that we didn't have to move, and we were able to plant that store right there. Um, and so it, it was it was a good pick, too. So obviously, cutlery, you sell all things sharp and pointy, <laughs> especially high-quality products like Dogwood Custom Knives. Dogwood Custom Knives for all your cutlery needs, or KH Daily Knives. But other than those two, shall we say, pinnacle brands, 
you, are y'all strictly knives, knives and scissors, knives and knives related products? What what do y'all sell? Sure. So we represent over 70 brands. Um, the best sellers that we have are traditional pocket knives, vintage knives, and custom fixed blade knives. Those are those are three categories that uh, are regularly number one, two, and three. And depending on the type time of year, the one will usurp the other. Um, then, of course, we represent uh, production knives, uh, brands such as Benchmade, Swiss Army, Kershaw, Zero Tolerance, Southern Grind. The, the mix is about 50-50. It's about half custom knives and half production knives. It, that mix is a little different than many other knife dealers. We are far heavier on the custom side than most knife dealers. Many knife dealers. That's part of what makes you such an amazing establishment, if I do say myself. <laughs> well, thank you. And and I would say that um, some of that is just kind of a function of what we learned that we needed to be when we grew up, so to speak. Um, many knife dealers, uh, you know, they want to take one picture of a CRKT knife and then sell it a billion times. And we certainly get that and understand that that's um, – that that's profitable and, and, and a lucrative business, but it's selling a widget and it's not, it doesn't matter if it's auto parts or, or whatever it is. And so we recognize that our place in the industry was really to be uh, a valuable consultant to our clients, to be knowledgeable on uh, knives and materials and makers, and that we we're just going to have a high labor cost in in photography and time spent inputting uh, for each individual SKU. And the the reality is, is it's fun to us. So, you know, what does Confucius say that if you uh, love what you do, you never work a day in your life. So uh, that's that's kind of the idea. And we don't mind uh, how labor intensive the business is. It's just it. It's what we do, and it's what we do well. So a lot of the people that listen to this podcast, apart from being brilliant and probably the finest people in the world, uh, a lot of them are knife makers or aspiring knife makers themselves. If they want to get the attention of a dealer, what are, what are some of the things that they need to have before they approach a dealer? Oh, that's, that's a great question. And what we like to explain uh, to everybody that walks in the door is that every knife has a value. Um, and not everybody is as good of a knife maker as a Dan Eastland, a Kyle Daly, or a Dylan Fletcher. He said my name first. I'm <laughs> right, right, right. Um, you know, some guys are, are much earlier in the progression of becoming a, a master bladesmith. And, and so uh, what we like to explain is that every knife has a value associated with it. Not every knife has to be uh, an amazing $400 custom-made masterpiece with all of these uh, tricked-out bells and whistles on it. And and that's okay. What we want to see is, does the maker have a reasonable expectation in terms of what he believes the value of his product is relative to, to the quality of work he's putting out? And we have several brands that we represent where the guy's making a – He's making a hundred, hundred and fifty dollar knife, and that's what it is. It's a hundred or hundred and fifty dollar knife. That's that's fantastic. 
because the quality of the work is right there and it's a good value for, for the money. Uh, and then we also counsel with people uh, when we feel like they're, they're underpricing their work. And I, I'll give a great example of this. Will Dutton is a bladesmith that is, just does absolutely magnificent work that we represent. And uh, all of his blades are forged, uh, hand forged, and um, he does magnificent leather work with it. And he puts things out there, and he puts a price tag of two hundred dollars on it. Oh, uh, so, um, no! Um, we're going to be editing that out. <laughs> not only have you exceeded the number of plugs that a maker that's not Kyle or I can get on a show, <laughs> but we are not going to have talk of that kind of silly, ridiculous pricing. <laughs> we're, right. we're, we're freaking professionals here, okay? <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, Will call me. You need better representation. I'll, I'll take care of you, brother. <laughs> right, that's right. Uh, so uh, to answer the question fully, though, I mean, a lot of times we want to make sure that that maker understands um, the things that he needs to do uh, in order to uh, advance uh, his product and and make sure that he's he's priced in the right bracket, so to speak. And then and then the the next thing is is that we want to make sure that he sees value in us and the things that we do as a dealer for that maker. You know, a, a dealer has some work to do. We uh, dealers not, can't just be a cash register. They have to do uh, lots of promotion. There has to be some back end things. They have to take quality photography um, and and uh, and. and handling uh, the end customer's needs, uh, shipping needs, tracking numbers, uh, packaging things correctly, et cetera, et cetera. So the, the, the dealer has to earn uh, what they do for that maker and earn the right to, to represent that maker. And um, we are supremely proud of the, of the makers that we represent and uh, always looking for more talent that's out there too. Yeah, as a and I, I don't know, Kyle, I don't know if you got this as well. One of the early things for me, and fortunately I got it fairly early, but it was really important was for me to the term I used to hear is be able to hear your baby called ugly. To be able to disassociate the passion and the time that I put in with my product and remember that it's a product so that when I got pricing suggestion or was working with dealers or was getting feedback on my product that I could remember that it wasn't a personal insult to me. And in the end, people don't really care how much effort went into it. What they care about is the end result. So when you're talking to dealers and when you're getting feedback, it can be hard, but it's important to remember they're talking about the product. They're not, they're not talking about you. So what you think it's worth and what it can actually sell for it's not – no matter how it may feel, it's not an insult. It's just – it's a product. Um, they may be passionate about it and you may be passionate about it, but it's going to sell for what it can sell for. And that can be a hard thing to hear for a young maker. And I, I think it's a great point and it's absolutely true. Um, we we all need to sometimes put our egos on the shelf and uh, and and l- – welcome some constructive criticism and uh, constructive feedback you know in, in our store uh, we have um, we have myself and and Melissa who are uh, you know see a, a wide range of knives uh, and skill levels uh, and then of course we have John 
who is a very accomplished knife maker in his own right. And John apprenticed under the tutelage of Andy Roy. And so he has a... And yet he is still a phenomenal knife maker. Even still, that's right. <laughs> in spite of... Oh, wait, 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 I'm going to see Andy this month at the Georgia Knife Makers Guild. <laughs> I mean, and another phenomenal knife maker that Andy has turned out from his shop. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hey, Kyle, did you struggle with pricing... Is when you were when you were ready to to start being a to shift from a guy who makes knife to a knife maker. Did you struggle with pricing, or did you find some easy industry guidelines? Uh, a little bit. I kind of kind of judged mine off other knives that I saw for similar prices. Going to Blade Show uh, helped me with kind of getting an idea of what other people and their quality level was uh, doing. I I mainly so starting out I I charged uh probably 30 or 40% below what I actually thought uh some of the knives were doing um it took me took me a lot of time to kind of build up what I what I thought was a uh enough quality and fit and finish uh to start demanding what other people that have knives of the same quality so um a lot of the knives that I first sold were to friends and family and coworkers and stuff like that to have some of my, my earlier stuff. And once I kind of hit 50 to 60 knives, I started raising, slowly raising my prices back up to what they are now. And one, one other thing that I'd, I'd like to add to that is it's not necessarily always about the quality or level of work. Um, some of it is notoriety in the industry. Uh, I know people who make a knife that is technically as good as a Dylan Fletcher, but it will not command that because nobody knows who this guy is. Picasso's paints didn't cost any more than anybody else's. It was the name at the bottom of the painting that got you $2 million. Yeah, and so um, we've, we have seen new makers uh, – you know, bring product to the table and and it be as absolutely spectacular as anything that we have in the store, but nobody's ever heard of this guy. And so um, it's it's a little bit of a, of a risk to try and price that stuff on the same level as, uh, you know, guys whose work it's, it's equivalent to that have been – Yeah, you young punks. Y'all got to pay your yeah, dues before you well, can get – Breaking even money. Well, it's true because because what happens is is you know somebody prices a, a very well made knife at three hundred and eighty five dollars, but nobody's ever heard of it. Nobody knows if the guy's heat treats any good. It looks great, but you know they say, oh well, I know a Dylan Fletcher or a Fiddleback or a Kahuta uh, is as is what it is because those knives have been reviewed and everybody knows who they are and you know they've been in magazines etc cetera, etc cetera. and so there's there is a little bit of that and uh some of it is it's just personal notoriety and i do believe there is a bit of you know paying your dues so to speak and getting your product out there in a number of people's hands uh getting it reviewed getting it in a dealer showcase uh in order for that person's name to kind of get out there and get, get a little brand recognition. And this is also one of the advantages to an apprenticeship situation that your mentor helps put a little bit behind your name. It helps you skip a little further, not to the top of the line, but get you a little further of the line that by having that person vouch your name, it gives you more credibility 
not, not always with buyers, but certainly with dealers because they know your mentor. They know his standards. So they know that if you're coming out of his shop, you're going to have similar standards and you're going to have that mentor helping to market for you. Absolutely. It's a great point. Yeah. Me, me kind of getting, getting started as just a hobby. I, I wanted to start making some of my own knives for myself and I miss making stuff when I used to work at the machine shop and my job now. So, so that, that I started making a bunch of the equipment to make knives and thinking if the knife thing didn't really pan out too great, I'd still have a lot of the equipment that I wanted anyway for whatever job woodworking or whatever hobbies I wanted to do and just kind of progressed and met met uh, Andy and Dan at the the first blade show that I went to and just started learning as much as I could from uh, those guys. Dylan Fletcher helped out a bunch. Uh, Dan took me to the Fiddleback shop and showed me a bunch of what they, how some of the stuff they do there. And that really, really helped uh, ignite a fire under me to want to take it to a little bit more of a next level. I didn't end up finishing my, making my first knife until like two years after, or three years after that. So yeah, you uh, you definitely put the time on the research before you started rather than just jumping in the deep end and trying to learn to swim. Yeah, well, I wanted to uh, – uh, I kind of have a buy once, cry once type mentality. So I don't usually just – or I didn't start with like a, a 1 by uh, 42 grinder or, or a 1 by 30 grinder. I, I went straight – It was a 2 by 48, okay? I started with a 2 by 48. It seemed like a really good idea at the time. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I went the engineers and their whole planning ahead. I went straight for the the two by seventy two and got a really good drill press and uh, bandsaw and table saw and stuff. So, so uh, what uh, what are a couple of things that makers can do to get a dealer's attention other than kidnapping their family? <laughs> yes. Well, it's always good to pay a dealer a visit in person. And one thing that is always frustrating is <laughs> we talk to a, a a new maker and he's got one knife on him and <laughs> and it's the knife that he carries and it's his. And so it's all beat, you know, beat up. And, and we, and anybody can do something once. I want to see what you can do 10 times. That's right. We, we want to see a body of somebody's work represented. And, uh, and that goes for the, you know, same thing about when, when we, uh, would get them established um, as somebody we represent. We don't want one knife uh, because if you have one knife of you know, somebody's work, you're not viewed as really committed to that maker for one thing, uh, but also that you don't really have the body of their work represented adequately. And so, so we we would need. Um, and we would like to see makers uh, approach us with uh, a full complement of what they have uh, to really begin that discussion. And um, so uh, anybody that's out there that's a knife maker that's that's looking to uh, acquire a dealer, I would say get in the shop and make sure you have a body of your work completed and that it's your best work and put your best foot forward first. And that you can show some consistency and that you can make – some of the young makers don't get it, but making one good knife is not nearly as challenging as making five knives that are identical. Um, or just making five knives. One knife may or may not have made a mistake on the grind. Maybe you meant it to be that height. Maybe you didn't. But if you can show me three knives – heck, if you can show me two knives, they're exactly the same. 
that shows me a higher level of skill. That shows me that that grind line is where you wanted it to be and not where it wound up. Um, that shows me that that pin placement wasn't a happy accident that you really meant to do that. It's a great point. Um, so it doesn't necessarily have to be a carbon copy, but five knives and or three knives even in the same style that are, that are obviously intentional for me is a better read on their skill as a maker than five knives that are entirely different. Yeah, I would agree with that. Great point. Uh, do you scout uh, knife shows? What, where are some places that if you're looking for a new maker, if you're looking for some talent, where are some places that you look? Sure. So other than coming out of the shop of Dylan Fletcher or Andy Roy. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, it's a great point. Um, so we, we of course do look at apprentices that are working in other people's shops. Absolutely. But uh, really our best source uh, has been being plugged in with the knife makers guild. Uh, the, the guild is a pool of talent that is already vetted and qualified, so to speak. And um, we we were able to uh, approach the guild early on at that Blade Show in 2017. Alan Searles was actually the the president of the Georgia Knife Makers Guild at the time. And uh, so meeting we were, is August 24th uh, at uh, the shop of Fiddleback Forge for all those in the Georgia yes. area. Yep. And don't worry, we'll be plugging that later. Um, and so the the. The, that first interaction with him was very positive, and we asked if you know they were uh, had makers that were interested in having representation here in Georgia, and uh, very well received. And that was a great talent pool to begin tapping. Um, and so, any other dealers in other states, if you have an active knife making guild, that's a great place to look. Um, of course, you know, we've walked every aisle of blade shows, the Gator Show uh, down in um, Lakeland, Florida. Uh, we've done other uh, knife making shows. Um, the Southern Handmade Show in Alto, Georgia in November is a good one. And we always do those. And, uh, Dogwood Custom Knives will be at that show. WW yeah. Dogwood <laughs> Custom Knives for all your cutlery needs. All right. right, host, quit quit plugging (laughs) your website so much. AH Daily Dive, www.ahdailyknives, will not be at that show, but they will be at many other wonderful shows in your area. Be sure to check their website at www.khdailyknives. Yes. So we we do all of these shows as as an exhibitor. We we also sell a lot of knife making supplies back to our makers and and, and to the public. Uh, You're the only ones carrying Burlex, aren't you? Burlatex, yes. Or Burlatex, sorry. Yes. I'm uh-huh. on my second sweet baby Jesus. The T's and the S's and well, it all kind of runs together. Yes, it's a burlap micarta type uh, product, uh, a phenolic resin. Um, and uh, it, a lot of makers use it. It's become very popular. It's a it's it's a big item. So we got a, a bunch of different colors, and of course we carry all different types of phenolics and exotic woods and uh, pin material, uh, other handle material. We uh, deal for a West System epoxy. But anyway, we we sell a lot of knife making supplies uh, to a lot of our knife makers and to the general public. And so we attend these shows as an exhibitor, and uh, we always take the time to walk around and look at people's work. And uh, sometimes we come across one that was somebody we didn't otherwise know and uh, just happen to see their work at a show and, and ask them if they would like dealer representation. 
Uh, we actually have a couple of those that we found at the Blade Show uh, that we are really excited about. And stay tuned to our website. There is a young lady um, in her early uh, – I'm sorry, late teens – that uh, is the best knife maker I have seen in a long time, and she's from New Mexico. I'm not going to mention her name yet. Uh, we plan on bringing her on. Yeah, that's the end of this show. Yes. <laughs> and uh, hopefully we'll have some of her work in-house soon. So sign up for our newsletter. You'll learn all about her here real soon. So if somebody has got some sales under their belts, they can, they can prove that they've, they're marketable. And they've got a body of work to demonstrate. Is there a way to, pro t to approach, say, a dealer as you? I imagine somebody like you is getting constant contact and it's hard to separate. So how could you – what's a way to approach somebody like you all to be able to demonstrate that you're, you're ready for representation? Sure, sure. Well, um, certainly – Coming into the store, if you're relatively local, um, is a great way to do it. Uh, but that's not absolutely necessary. Um, we've had uh, we've had a guy in, in Mississippi, Seth Boris of Southern Longbeards. Uh, I've never actually met him in person, um, but we represent his work and we sell a ton of it, and it's fan a fantastic product. We give us a call and let's kind of have that phone interview. We like to know about the person. One thing that we really pride ourselves on is we want to be able to represent a maker the way that they would represent themselves. We want to know everything about that person, where they're from, what they like to do, what they use their knives for, uh, how they make their knives, uh, processes that they use, um, along with all the technical information about their knives as well. So we like to be able to tell somebody's entire story. Uh, we feel like that's important, especially in an age when um, handmade products are uh, surging in popularity, not just knives, but all different types of handmade products. Um, we want to be able to tell somebody's story. So we really want to get to know the person, and if we've got to do that over the phone, that's fine. Um, but uh, I would say if, if, if somebody's local, come in and see us. Uh, if they're not local, give us a call. The, uh, the phone number is 833-GOT-KNIVES. One of the things that I really enjoy working with y'all is early on and anytime you're in a craftsman type environment, one of the lessons you'll learn pretty quickly is no one cares as much about your work as you do. And that's sometimes referring to employees, sometimes referring to dealers. But one of the things that I've enjoyed about working with y'all is that you're passionate about the product. It's not a widget. It's not a unit sold. You appreciate that, especially the custom stuff is there's a person behind this. It's, it's more than just a product. It's a passion. There's blood, there's sweat, there's tears, there's time behind it. And y'all represent that and not just how many units can you make and what's your price margin on it. Absolutely. So let me explain where that comes from. Uh, first off, uh, I am a craftsman myself, although I can make a knife-shaped object. That's not really what I do. I am a woodworker, and um, I am a 30-year uh, woodworker, and I've had a, a professional woodworking company even uh, since 2008. I make high-end custom furniture, and I know what it takes to pour your, you know, your heart and soul and blood and sweat and everything you have into a piece that uh, you're making for somebody that that is a, a little piece of you. I, I get that and I understand that. I know what it's like when that product goes out the door and you're kind of hoping and wishing that uh, people love it, 
that its future owner loves it as 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 much as uh, as much as as you do. And I understand that as a as a as a craftsman, and so I wanted to bring that to this business as well, and make sure that we are representing somebody with that same degree of enthusiasm that they have about their product. Um, I, I reassured every maker that we represent that when a customer walks in the store. If we have an opportunity to share the maker's story with that person, they'll know everything about that maker, where they're from, what they steal they like to use um, that, that we can possibly share. And so we're, we're very proud of that. Now, we've talked a little bit. You touched on earlier about the symbiotic relationship between the maker and the dealer, that, that you have to work together because helping one helps the other, and there's a back and forth. And I mean, the, the hard cold truth of it is for you to stay open, you're going to have to get your percentage. So when you're working with a maker, you know, you're going to get your percentage. Off. You're going to get your percentage. And that was kind of a shock, uh, less so for me because coming up with other makers, I already knew what was going on. But some of the young makers aren't quite prepared for, oh, hey, wait the dealer gets a discount because the dealer's got to be able to pay rent. Uh, what is for the young makers kind of give them a breakdown is where's that percentage going? I mean, that's, you're not wearing a top hat and got a monocle. You're not st necessarily sticking all of that in your pocket. That's right. <laughs> that, that's right. It's <laughs> a good, good point. <laughs> I like the analogy. Um, well, no, it, it is. It's a great question. And, um, I think that I think that the, the first component of the answer is really to say that the there is a discount that the dealer needs to make off of what the list price is that is established. Um, so the list price should be the list price should be the list price. Uh, so if it's a two hundred dollar knife, then that's what the market should pay. So a dealer can't pay two hundred dollars and then mark it up off of two hundred. It's it's okay if that maker wants to sell direct and sell that particular knife at, at $200. If he's going to sell to the dealer, uh, the dealer needs to be able to sell it for the same price. And so the dealer works off of a discount from, from that uh, established retail price. Well, and, and makers can't undercut their dealers. Correct. Then there's no market for the dealer. And there's no reason for the dealer to exist. That's right. So what does the dealer have to do? Uh, to earn that. Well, the first thing is, is when it comes to custom product, um, some every once in a while you get a very, very rare, unusual maker that has these nice padded cases that have things like KH Daily custom knives embroidered on them, and the knife is in that case, and it has a has a card that says, uh, you know, what type of steel it is, and a Rockwell hardness, and how big the knife is, and the handle material, and the, I feel like there's a hint in there, but I can't quite. That is that is a phenomenally rare thing. Most of the time, when a dealer gets knocked from a custom maker, they are in a big pile that has been stretch filmed together. Maybe if the guy's if the guy's really serious, he'll use bubble wrap. But most of the time, they're actually just a big pile of knives in a box, um, and. <laughs> There's no packaging. There's no. Kyle, you and I need to talk. You're making us look bad, man. Seriously, I've been talking to some other makers, and we need to talk. 
I think maybe you don't understand how this game works, and you've been making us look bad. So, and Vinny and the boys said that you need to get straight. So, so, so if 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 the maker really goes out of his way, he will send me a text message that. Okay, this one was done in eighty CRV. This one was done in A two, and this one was done in so and so. I can only put one hundred and sixty characters at the bottom of the invoice. <laughs> I mean, there's only so much room. So, so the first thing the dealer has to do is the dealer has to make adequate packaging, um, and we want to make sure that our packaging is very consistent across. Uh, across all the custom brands that we you do have a phenomenal package, let me say. And <laughs> thank you, thank you. Yes, I've had many compliments on that, Dan. <laughs> I mean, it's small, but it's really well built. <laughs> it's very well built. <laughs> do we need to get Yoda back to say size matters not? <laughs> you know, the great thing about having the uh, the creative control of editing is you can just put it in anywhere you want. That's right. <laughs> Yeah. Oh wait! You know, let's just leave that in. It's a trap. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, the, okay. So about your packages. The the next thing is is the we take professional quality photography, and uh, as I mentioned earlier, that's that's not an easy thing to do. It does take some good equipment. Uh, it does take some uh, some expertise and. Um, we are a long way from being perfect, uh, but we're we're getting there, and we're we're improving at a point where I would say we're proud of what we're putting out, uh, but there's still some room for improvement. Uh, but we are taking some pretty decent photography. Photography is one of the things that I've struggled a bunch with. Uh, you'll be taking what you think is a, a great photo when you get it blown up on your computer screen and there's a big thumbprint in the corner or yep. <laughs> different things you have to you have to wipe back off or dust on it or even something in the, the corners of the, the picture that you didn't uh, when you were you laid something else down and there's a part of a picture of another knife in the corner so you got to go back and redo it so yeah and, and even if you have good editing software the reality is, is as a dealer if you're taking you know six pictures of every knife and you've got 50 knives well uh you've got a lot of pictures to go through and you simply can't take an inordinate amount of time with every picture so you got to take a good picture from the beginning and do very minimal amount of editing uh, from there on. Um, so it, the second part of the, the answer is, is taking quality photography so that, the, uh, so that the maker's work can be represented accurately. And then there's a whole lot of back-end stuff that, um, that it, it, most people don't see and they're not aware of. And a lot of it – Kyle is all about the back-end <laughs> stuff. I mean, intimately familiar. familiar so. <laughs> Watch yourself there, Dan. <laughs> so there's um, there's a lot of time that is actually spent on search engine optimization words and tagging things properly and getting uh, descriptions written so that uh, search engines pick things up properly. Uh, and that's really important. And that's one of the things that will separate a real good dealer who has a professionally built website from somebody who's a dealer that just has kind of a canned GoDaddy website with a with a canned you know shopping cart uh, type experience because those things really don't have any uh s look it's not GoDaddy; it's shopify oh no we upgraded to square it's a square website okay, okay? 
Yeah. It's template number four. It works for me. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, you got to be all judgy. Yes. Well, for a maker's site, then that's that's fine because you're only representing one brand. But when you represent lots of brands, uh, there's a there's a whole lot of search engine optimization stuff that that goes on behind the scenes. Beyond that, um, you really you really start to branch out into many other things that an individual dealer uh, would specialize in. Of course, there's uh, m- tremendous amounts of social media uh, options out there from Instagram and, and, and Facebook to uh, we have a, a, a large subscribership to our newsletter, which you can sign up for by visiting the uh, website. And what is that website? It's oldtowncutlery.com, and it doesn't matter if you misspell it uh, because it will it will take you to the right place because we own all the domains, but it's O-L-D-E-T-O-W-N-E, cutlery, C-U-T-L-E-R-Y.com. And that's because your optimization is on. No matter that's- what you type in, as long <laughs> as it's oldtowncutlery, oldtowncutlery.com. Yeah, we own about 15 domains that spell it every incorrect way that, <laughs> that you can. And so anyway. We, it we, turns out dyslexic guys not only make knives, but they buy yeah, knives. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, uh, so and, and then the if somebody has a storefront, obviously you want, uh, you know, product well displayed and properly lit displays where there's, a, you know, good looking light or running electricity all day long and a knowledgeable salesperson that is there that is staffed and, and ready to um, to take that phone call or meet that customer at the at the door and and show them the product. So what what we want to remind makers of is that every moment that you spend doing any one of those things, whether it's listing something on a website, promoting it on Instagram, uh, sending out a newsletter, uh, actually tracking down a tracking number for somebody, putting something in a box and taping it up. Every moment that you spend doing that, you're not making knives. And so that's what the that's the value that the dealer should be bringing to the table, and they should do a very good job of it. At, at the end of the day, if that dealer is coming back to you and saying, hey, send me some more knives, uh, that should be a, a slam dunk where that margin that that dealer has made, that whatever that percentage is that you've agreed upon, that should be a very equitable proposition. And we have most, most of our makers look at that and say, hey, listen, I am so glad that I don't have to run down a tracking number or pack another box except for one big box every once in a while that goes out to a dealer. And so shrink wrap them all together because that's all you do. <laughs> shrink wrap, that's, that's all you need. <laughs> shrink wrap. And make sure you do not send a list of the names of the patterns with the steel and the thickness and all. Make sure that it's just a big box all shrink wrapped together. What are you blind? You can't see the pattern. I mean, the thickness is right there at the spine. I mean, what, you yeah. can't tell one eighth from three thirty seconds. That's right. your professional. <laughs> That's what text messaging is for, right? It's best if you send the store manager a text, the owner a text, and the real owner a text. But don't put the same information in any one text. Yeah, make them all different. (laughs) One of the other things you didn't touch on that I have found really helps is people will go to Old Town Cutlery because they're looking for a knife. And the chances of them buying your knife because they went to Old Town Cutlery they're going to go to wherever there's a group of knives and start looking at them. So people that 
I know this is going to shock you, but there are people in the world that don't go to www.dogwoodcustomknife, but they will go, they'll know they want a knife, but they don't know what knife it is. They might want a KH daily knife, um, but they will go to a dealer because they know they want a knife and you get a chance there. People that go to the dealer may never go to your website either because they haven't heard about you or they're thinking they want a bushcraft knife and they don't know that you make kitchen knives. So sometimes being in that pool gives you a chance for exposure that you're not going to get otherwise. Oh, it's a fantastic point. So um, from a even just from a search engine optimization perspective, uh, having your product at a dealer will give you more exposure and more looks than you'll get from a website where only that one brand is sold. And I mean, that's that's just a, a law of averages sort of thing. But uh, to Dan's point, people walk in our store every day and, and end up on our website and, and, and call us and ask us questions. And and they will be familiar with a tops or an SE or, a you know, a basic bushcraft knife that they just, you know, maybe saw an, an ad in a hunting magazine or something like that. And so they've got a general idea of what they want. But then when they have the opportunity to talk to us, we can kind of ask some questions about exactly what their needs are, where they're going, what they're what they're planning on doing with the knife. You know, is this something they're hiking the Appalachian Trail with, they're going to a hunt camp with, uh, using it for an everyday carry. And then you can show them the exact dogwood knife that they need. <laughs> well, and so many times we will direct them to a custom knife that is more well-suited for exactly what they want than maybe the production thing that they kind of thought would would probably work. And, and, it, and it may have worked, but sometimes you can show somebody why this custom knife maybe is a little bit better pick because mm, it's got some bells and whistles or some features that have um, that the maker was able to utilize whether it you know it might be um, well for 25 percent more cost you can get a hundred percent more uh, effective quality bingo bingo whether you're buying um, powdered metallurgy steel or whether you're buying in a case of a kitchen knife uh, something with a convex grind uh, that'll you know split your potato off much better than uh, you know a flat ground old hickory right uh, and so there's lots of little subtle things that we're supposed to be the knowledgeable experts and we want to be seen as the valuable consultant and uh, so when somebody comes to us we ask those questions and we can show them then the options and um and that's the fun part of the job. That's uh, that's where we we create more knife enthusiasts, and we we have a lot of fun doing it. One of the things Kyle and I struggle with, uh, we each have our own system, is shipping. Kyle, do you, you do you use stamp stamps dot com, or do you use what do you use to ship with? I currently don't use anything, and that's probably uh, the worst thing ever because I end up having to box my stuff up, take it to USPS or. Uh, UPS are two of the places I ship from the most and uh, stand in line. If you could talk to someone who shipped hundreds or even thousands of knives a month, what would you ask them about shipping? Yeah, I, I would, I would love to know <laughs> if you use any programs or uh, boxes and things like that, that you use. 
Yes. <laughs> All right. So it's a great question. I'll give you a, a, a kind of a Reader's Digest rundown of what we do. First off, uh, as I mentioned about packaging a moment ago, we have a very consistent packaging for all of our knives, and we use the tube system. So we are uh, we have an account with Uline, which is um, you know, a, a big massive company that sells all different types of packaging products, and we buy um, tube from them in quantity uh, in length, and we'll buy three or four foot lengths of tube in all different diameters from uh, one inch diameter tube uh, all the way up to four inch and everything in between. Uh, and then we have caps for those tubes, and we we bring those in-house and actually cut them to length. Um, when we are packaging a custom maker's knife, uh, we will actually create a label for that particular custom maker. On one side, it says has the Old Town Cutlery logo. On the other side, it will have the maker's logo. Uh, you know, it'll have, you know, the, the Dogwood logo or the KH Daily logo or the, you know, Cahutta Knife logo, what, whatever it is. Uh, and then below that are all the specs of that knife, the, the pattern name, the steel, the thickness, the length, um, handle material, liners, pinstripes, uh, any of that stuff that, uh, that is relevant, whether or not it has a sheath with it, etc. That label goes on that tube. That, that tube then is married to that knife. That knife might be out on display in the store. Uh, when it is sold, that knife gets, um, gets a sleeve put over the blade um, that is just slightly longer than the tip so that we uh, seal the, the tube uh, with end caps. The knife, even if it's shaken around, won't poke through the end cap. Then so – is that like a cardboard sleeve or plastic? Yeah, it's, or? it's just one of those basic things that, you know, you, when um, uh, there's green writing on them, you can buy them from multiple different places. I think uh, UA Maker sells them in bulk uh, and a few other places uh, have them. But uh, you buy the sleeves in different widths. And we, we buy them in 18-inch lengths and just trim them to size and uh, put the knife in the tube. Uh, and then the tube then goes into a cardboard box, a square re rectangular cardboard box. Uh, and we have about 30 different sizes of boxes that we keep on hand, uh, a giant rack in the back of our store that, uh, that has all of these boxes in it. And so we'll size the tube to the appropriate size box so that we have very minimal packaging. We don't use any plastics uh, uh, to, to pack out packages. It's all biodegradable paper. So we we then put um, then uh, put paper in the box so that the tube doesn't rattle. Uh, we then take that box, tape it up, and put a scale and weigh it in our stamps.com program. And the stamps.com program is intuitive and it speaks to our website. So when you refresh the, the program, all of the orders that have come through the website actually appear in them. Um, you simply put the box on the scale and hit weigh. You then select which shipping option you want. If you want, um, if it weighs less than a pound, you can just send it uh, first class. Anything over a pound has to go priority. You then can pick, uh, you know, two day or one day priority, uh, depending on the urgency requirements of the particular order. Um, and you print the label and it prints the label. And the really slick part of this is, is it automatically updates that order on our WooCommerce site to show, uh, the tracking number. It it attaches that tracking number actually to that order and even emails confirmation to 
person who placed the order, if they put in their email correctly, um, then it will email them a confirmation with the tracking number. So it's a really slick system. Um, and, uh, and of course, we have our postal carrier notified that we uh, are shipping packages every day. So they actually uh, personally come in the store and pick up the big box of packages and um, off they go. We also have to use UPS, and it's a very similar process uh, with a UPS program. And the reason why we have to use UPS is you are not to send automatics through the U.S. Postal Service. Um, it is legal to sell automatics across state lines. That's a big misunderstanding. However, it is not legal to, U to use the U.S. Postal Service uh, as the carrier. So we have to use a private carrier for that purpose uh, when we sell automatic knives. So that's the that's the base process. It is um, it is streamlined as much as a process can be streamlined, so that as little time has to be spent actually in front of a computer, you know, putting things in or emailing tracking numbers. We've tried to automate that as much as that process can be automated. Nice. Yeah, I need to I need to get better at that. I use uh, WooCommerce on the back end of my website. Also, I know what a what a pain it is to to enter some of that stuff and make sure you have the unique identifiers in there. So it has quantity tracking. So you don't get two people, two or three people buying the same knife on the, the website. Yeah. And we had an even larger challenge in that we have an inventory of custom knives physically on display in a store that are also online sale. So how do you prevent somebody from, buying something online and buying something in store at the same time. And uh, we, it was, it was um, uh, quite a um, magic trick to make all that happen. And, um, but the fortunate thing is, is we have a really uh, web developer uh, and, and graphic design team that we worked with. The name of the company is Mop Dog of uh, Kennesaw, Georgia. And, and they are just fantastic. I can't say enough about them. Uh, they have a great partner in helping to implement all of those functions together on that WooCommerce platform and make it all work together. Wow, that's, uh, that's way better than me wrapping it up and tying it and putting a bow on it. And then I add a sticker and a knife respective card and a dogwood custom knives card. And then I take the box to Connie, who is a really wonderful woman. Connie is my local pack mail representative. And then I hand her the box and some magic happens with insurance and tracking. And then I lose the tracking number. So please don't call me for the tracking number. I don't know. I, I shipped it. Okay. All right, that's not true. <laughs> Melissa, my new office manager, makes me take a freaking picture of the receipt with the tracking number on it. So, look, email Melissa about it. I promise I send it, okay? Nice. Uh, or you can just ship a big-ass box to the dealer and not have to deal with all that. I'm just saying. All <laughs> <laughs> right. When I, when, I ship, when I ship one of my knives, that's like the first thing I do before I leave the post office is to take a picture of the receipt for uh, – all my tracking info. Uh, that's the one thing because I do customs and it's a little different market. Um, unless the client specifically and in writing tells me they don't want insurance. I ensure every package going out and I am sure it's just a coincidence, but I have found every package that I insure makes it to its des destination. Yeah, I I kind of adopted the uh, the Andy Roy uh, thing, so I just use the base level of fifty dollars of insurance, and 
tell them if it gets lost, uh, I'll make them another knife uh, for some of my custom stuff. Yeah, I did that one time and then realized I can't make a knife for $50. Yeah. But I can't even make a knife-shaped object for $50. When you ship when you ship 50 or 60 things that you're insuring for 20 or $30 extra each time and they don't lose it, uh, you end up paying a lot of money in that too. Yeah, as, as a dealer, I will tell you that uh, most dealers do not insure product uh, unless – the customer has asked for it. Uh, and of course we, we give that as an option at, at checkout. If somebody wants insurance, that being said though, I, there have been cases where I've sent somebody a $1,500 knife and I was, <laughs> I was just so uh, squirrely about it being such a unique one of a kind knife that I went ahead and <laughs> threw a little insurance on there, whether the customer asked me for it or not. Well, and given the volume that y'all ship, a few dollars here and a few dollars there adds up pretty quickly. Um, with the volume that I'm shipping, it's it's worth it to me to just have the um, – and most of my customers, it's $5, 10 for the insurance, um, sometimes a little more. But unless they specifically tell me not to, I do it just so I'm, I'm covered. Yeah, I guess I'm a little hit or miss if I'm shipping – if it, there's two or three knives in there, I guess I usually – do the insurance, but if it's just one, I usually just let it ride. Fortunately, I had insured it. I had a package get damaged and about $800 worth of knives disappeared somewhere between me and it arriving in an empty box at their doorstep. Hmm. And that was the, okay, I'm, I'm insuring everything from now on. Yeah. But again, the volume that I ship is just a fraction of what somebody like Old Town ships. Yeah, I ship like two box, maybe two boxes a month. Well, that's because you keep going to all these people's weddings and you eat their cake and they drink their you drink their liquor and you try to make pay them off with a knife. <laughs> which is a phenomenal scam. I should have thought of that sooner. <laughs> it's, e- it's even best. It's even best when they order a couple extra knives and pay you for those. Oh God. Man, I can't remember the last time. Well, because it was never. I have never been paid to go to somebody's wedding. Uh, indirectly, I got paid, I guess. Hey, you know what? It doesn't matter how well it was laundered. Getting paid is getting paid. Yeah. So other than, obviously, KH Daily Knives and uh, those phenomenal people at Dogwood, who are some of your favorite makers that you're working with right now? Maybe they're a new maker. Um, sure. Maybe they're, uh, you know. A, a pretty good maker. So on the custom side, um, we it, it may surprise some people to know that Alpha Knife is probably our best-selling brand. Um, uh, Damon Lusky is right up in Dahlonega, Georgia. He makes an amazing product, and we do very well with his with his work. And and who did he mentor with? Uh, Dylan Fletcher, uh, oh. and and there were others, but um, but. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Al- Alpha is is definitely one of our our better brands. He's um he he does great work. We also do um a really good job um with uh with Fletcher knives. Um, that's a great selling brand. 
Number Seven Knife and Tool has been a relatively new brand for us. Um, he's out of Ball Ground, Georgia, and he, he makes just an amazing product. He's he's red hot. So if if we could get more of his stuff, we would do very well. Of course, Alan Searles and Fiddleback, we 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 represent the those product and do very well with them. There's a guy over in Mississippi, Southern Longbeards. I mentioned him earlier. We sell a lot of his product. Uh, Todd Hunt of TM Hunt Custom Knives is uh, consistently in our, I would say, top three uh, of uh, custom makers. We do uh, do very well with his product. Yeah, Todd's another good friend of the show, too, with Dan and me. Absolutely. Todd's good people, and I'm not just saying that because he's half Sasquatch. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know where he got the that underwear that he put on. Uh, uh, whoa, 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 easy now. Allegedly, it's important that we say <laughs> allegedly. Yeah, I guess allegedly he put on there. Uh, he, was the fir- he was the first to spot him. Yeah, that is usually an indicator. But Todd's a big man, and he gets angry. So we're gonna go with allegedly. There was allegedly a ginormous <laughs> pair of women's underwear left at the USA Made Blade booth <laughs> at the Blade Show this year. And that was allegedly left behind by one of the liaisons of one of the fine people at whatever. Um, you know, we're, we're not talking about this. It, it, it's a bunch of alleged stuff that involves some size 68 uh, underwear. <laughs> 68, good lord. <laughs> 68. They're like, 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 they're Appreciate you coming on the show. <laughs> oh, well, uh, you're out of time. <laughs> yes. Um, well, so we have some major production companies that we represent. Uh, obviously, Benchmade is one. Uh, we do sell Condor, the product out of El Salvador that's uh, actually a fantastic product, and we, we do pretty well with it. Joe Flowers is one of their – their primary designers, and he is a fine human being and a friend of the show. That's right. Yeah. Um, and then uh, we represent uh, Great Eastern Cutlery. Uh, we probably sell more uh, Great Eastern Cutlery product than all of the other traditional slip joint brands uh, that are new brands that that we represent. Great Eastern Cutlery has uh, taken the slip joint world by storm. Uh, they're a relatively new company founded in 2006 by Bill Howard, who was the master cutler at Queen for many years. Oh. Uh, and uh, they produce absolutely hands down, bar none, the best production slip joint uh, on the market today. Uh, we sell out very quickly on many patterns. Um, if you want to be notified of patterns that we're getting, sign up for the for the website uh, newsletter as well. One thing that I would say about Great Eastern Cutlery product that is distinctly different than most traditional slip joints is they make what they make, and then that's it for that pattern, and then they move on to another pattern, which is very different than, say, Case that's always making a trapper that's maybe just changing the handle materials from one week to the next. Um, so that that's has made uh, Great Eastern uh, extremely collectible. 
But beyond that, we also represent uh, George Wustenholm and Joseph Rogers, which are two English brand traditional pocket knives. Uh, and those have been very popular. We're actually the only dealer in the country that has a full uh, representation of those two product lines, Joseph Rogers and George Wustenholm. Those actually used to be two companies that were uh, rivals of one another, both out of Sheffield, England. And uh, today they're under uh, one parent company called Eggington Group. But uh, if you were – Sounds terribly English. Yes, oh, yes. <laughs> Eggington Group. If, uh, if you carried a pocket knife prior to uh, 1880 or so in, in, in the latter part of the 19th century, more than likely it was a Wustenholm or a Rogers um, before the rise of American cutlery, which had to do with um, – uh, some trade tariffs that were that were put in place in the latter part of the 19th century. Um, before the rise of American cutlery, you were probably going to carry a a Wustenholm or a Rogers, maybe some German uh, cutlery, but for the most part, it was it was English. Well, thank God we're in the modern world where you can get good quality, <laughs> custom made American steel. That's no right. more of that European crap around here. That's right. That's right. Um, of course, we, we carry some other brands like Spyderco and Zero Tolerance, um, and of course, we do carry WR Case, uh, traditional pocket knives. Um, one thing that I will say is mid-techs are a big category for us as well, and um, mid-techs should be a, a term that most people are familiar with, but if you're, if you're not, a mid-tech simply means that it's a, a knife where part of the knife-making process has been automated for consistency uh, and for the ability to produce uh, at least more quantity than can be produced out of a custom shop. And so a few knife makers that would fall into this category would certainly be uh, White River, Arno Bernard, Winkler knives would fall into this category as well, where it, they're, they're largely hand-finished knives, but, um, but part of the process is automated so that you can order the same uh, the same skew over and over again, uh, but well, it, that kind of automation helps bring the price point down. So you're getting a higher level of quality, but you're getting a price break because they can work in volume. That's right. That's right. So um, Arno Bernard is a is a big line for us. Um, that's kind of a mid tech. I know uh, there's this one guy, he's not really worth mentioning. His name's uh, Dogwood Custom Knives. He's uh, actually got a few kind of mid teched out. Uh, uh, knives out there that um, no, I'm they're sorry, okay. <laughs> so I'm sorry, I wasn't paying attention. I had zoned out for a second. Um, so uh, the the, the mid tech category is is a great category for us because it it does enable us to have a little bit of consistency. Um, LT Wright, uh, which is a, a company we are in the process of bringing on right now, we've received our first shipment and have a few of their knives on the site. Uh, we've got a lot more coming. But then uh, that's the mid-tech category. A couple of uh, brands that I did not mention that are production brands that I, I think are, are worth mentioning. Uh, Lion Steel is actually a huge product line for us. And Lion Steel is an Italian-made modern folder. And we, we didn't sell a whole lot of them initially when we put them on the website. But when we opened the brick and mortar, people were floored at the quality when they were able to come in and actually put them in hand. So that's one of the wonderful things about having a 
brick and mortar store is there, there's so much to a knife that is all about the look and the feel and, you know, how that how that thing feels in somebody's individual hand. And, and so we're proud to show off items like lion steel knives. Um, that's a, that's a great, a great product line that, um, that we do well with. And Hogue is another one that I would throw in there as well. Hogue is the same people that make gun grips. Uh, they're not real well known in the knife world. Um, and, uh, we, we looked at their product initially and found it to be of exceptional quality. And I would put their, you know, out the fronts up next to a Microtech any day of the week. Uh, they make an amazing automatic. And um, so it's a, it's a product line that's uh, it, it consistently in one of our top sellers in store. Thank you very much for joining us tonight. Um, we have turned this into a two-hour episode. <laughs> yes. And that's totally not yep. because you carry such high-quality knives as KH Daily Knives or Dogwood Custom <laughs> Knives. Kyle, would you like to take us through the outro? Um, I think you still had one more thing to plug there in the, the list. Oh, gee. You, so if I send you 20 bucks, you're going to fix this in the edit, right? I mean, like, totally. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, so the Georgia Knife Makers Guild has got a quarterly meeting coming up August 24th at the Fiddleback Shop. Um, it is not there currently, but by the time this goes to air, we'll have the details in the notes. Um, you do not have to be a member to attend. Uh, it is a great opportunity to meet knife makers and um, like-minded enthusiasts. Um, it's also a chance to check, check out the, the Fiddleback shop this, this quarter. Every quarter, it's at a different shop. Um, it's a great chance for like-minded people to get together, talk about uh, techniques, details, concepts. So feel free to come on out. Uh, if for some reason somebody has failed to get the details into the notes before this goes to air, you can also check their website. But uh, August 24th will be a great chance to come out and meet Dan Eastland from Dogwood Custom Knives <laughs> at the George Knifebakers Guild meeting. Is uh, is Pops Knife Supply right next to the Fiddleback Shop, or is they are they Pops? Yeah. So so the way it, the way it works is um, there's Fiddleback Forge, uh, there's JB Knife Works, there's W A Searles Knives, and Dirk Lutz Knives, which are all made out of the same part of the office park. They those four guys, those four knife makers, uh, purchase Pops Knife Supplies. And they have a, a second um, a suite that is next to them that all of the knife making stuff is in. So they kind of have this uh, this round robin schedule where they're either making a knife under their own brand or they're over there uh, packing boxes of abrasives and steel uh, for Pops Knife Supplies. And um, they will so they they will have uh, some product there on display. Old Town Cutlery will be there at the. Um, at the guild meeting as well, and uh, we'll have a booth and on display. And uh, certainly, if you are even moderately interested in making knives, please don't be intimidated. Come to the meeting because you'll meet a lot of really good people that are very welcoming and uh, very willing to share what they know to, to make more knife makers and to make better knife makers. Uh, so it's a good time. Um, it's a lot of fun. And uh, come join us for sure. Yeah, I've never actually been to one of the the Georgia Guild meetings, but I've seen 
tons of pictures and stuff on. It's, it's pretty easy. All you got to do is be in Georgia, yeah, which is God's country, as you've established. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, well, one one of, one of the things that we say often when people walk in our store and they're floored by all of this beautiful product and they're they're really almost breathless with <laughs> in in amazement of uh, the quality of work that's on display. Um, one of the things that we're able to say is that uh, of the seventy brands we represent, half of those are custom makers, and of that, half of those are Georgia custom makers. And the reason for that is largely because of the success of the Georgia Custom Knife Makers Guild, and it's a teaching guild. Um, it is a very active guild, and um, it has the second best representation and activity of any knife making guild in the country, second only behind Arkansas. And the reason for that is because there's nothing to do in Arkansas other than duck hunt <laughs> and make knives. So, uh, <laughs> so <laughs> not to pick on people from Arkansas, it's a lovely place. <laughs> But but um, but uh, the the Georgia Guild is a really great organization. So uh, if you have any interest whatsoever, uh, please come join us. Nice, yeah. So I always see a bunch of cool videos and stuff. I think it was like a year ago they did like a three or four hour knife build off mm-hmm. uh, yep. where they heat treated in a forge and and every made the whole knife in three hours it was pretty amazing. So every guild meeting usually has something that is being done that is educational. We met up at uh, Dennis Bradley's and learned all about etching uh, and how to mark your knives properly. Um, so e- every guild is there's there's something there for everybody, um, and uh, it's a it's a good time. Sounds awesome. All right, you can get uh, in touch with uh, Knife Perspective. Uh, on our website, knifeperspective.com. Uh, we also have uh, email address, podcast at knifeperspective.com. You can get a hold of Dan and me at our respective Dan and Kyle at knifeperspective.com emails. And uh, we are also uh, had some, some interesting development uh, this morning. We got approved on Stitcher and TuneIn Radio. Uh, so if you use those apps, you'll be able to type in Knife Perspective and find our podcast. There's also a Facebook page, Instagram account. You can find us also on Apple Podcasts, I, or iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. So, uh, pretty, uh, pretty good list of whatever you find podcasts. Seriously, people, if you can't listen to it, it's your own damn fault. <laughs> we are everywhere that you can yeah. possibly. And then uh, you can find me at cagedailyknives.com, and um, I have a. Fin- Facebook page, Cage Daily Knives, Instagram, and Twitter is the same. Uh, you can also email me at uh, Kyle at CageDailyKnives.com or Kyle at KnifePerspective.com. Tell them where you can find you, Dan. You can find me where all fine cutlery sold in places like Old Town Cutlery. Knife. You know what? <laughs> Old Town Cutlery. This episode is brought to you by Old Town Cutlery or at www.dogwoodcustomknives, Dogwood Custom Knives for all you your cutlery needs. Oh, and Dan at dogwoodcustomknives.com. And he's all he's also on Facebook and Instagram at Dogwood Custom Knives. And uh, Lee, you want to give him a 
support? Sure. So uh, oldtowncutlery.com, again, doesn't matter if you misspell it or not. Uh, we own all the domains. Uh, also have a um, toll-free number, 833-GOT-KNIVES, uh, which should be relatively easy to remember. Um, we also have Instagram and Facebook at Old Town Cutlery. Uh, and if you'd like to send us an email, info at otc.com. Cool. And uh, I guess that's a wrap. Thanks, everybody, for listening and hope you uh, found everything about dealers uh, interesting. And, and you want to wrap it up, Dan? Yeah. I uh, want to thank everybody. Uh, we got a few more questions this week that we didn't get to. We will try to get to those next week. Please continue to ask questions because, well, if we can't answer your questions, that's really going to be a short show. So uh, continue the questions at uh, either on Instagram or at knifeperspective.com. Mostly Kyle at knifeperspective.com. I I find that will work best. Other than that, guys, we will see you all next week. Same bat time, same bat channel, or a different one. It really just depends on how things go. Say goodnight, Kyle. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Lee, for coming on. We really enjoyed you. Thank you all. Was, I had a blast. Well, let's take it to the edge, because that's what's expected. In this discussion, this is the night prospective. Let's get to the point. We're going to talk about.